WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And Happy New Year! This is our last episode of 2018 and our last episode of the first year of WMQ Comics. Uh, I said it a few weeks back on the show and it bears repeating. I cannot believe. I've been able to do a year's worth of these on a weekly basis. Uh, with that in mind, I kind of want to thank a lot of people who helped make this first year such fun. Um, first and foremost, whether you're a regular listener, a new listener, or you just randomly picked this episode to listen to, thank you. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying the show and everything we're doing over at WMQComics.com. It really is the second baby I've been raising along with my daughter, who's 18 months. Uh, so every play and every click is uh, heartening. Second, I have to thank Matt Lazowitz, who has been so much of what makes the site and the podcast so successful. Between his bonus reading columns and co-hosting the show, uh, Matt has been my best friend for 25 years. He's the godfather of my son, and his counsel is invaluable. Uh, also, thank you to Rob Lynch, our uh, third amigo and uh, frequent flyer on the podcast. Uh, Y'all haven't heard the last of Rob. We got another holiday special coming up in February that's going to be another fun history lesson. Uh, of course, big thanks to my wife, Hillary, who is patient enough with me to let me disappear down the basement twice a week to record and edit these shows. Uh, and Joshua Burma, Joshy B, Jay Bizzle, uh, the man who writes some of the best weekly comic reviews out there. Uh, Homeboy is our secret weapon, and uh, you need to be reading his stuff. Uh, finally, I really just want to thank everybody who's been a guest on the show because you've all been wonderful enough to take an hour or so out of your lives to talk to little old me. And some of you have even become good friends. So thank you to uh, Charlie Davis, Ron Mars, Chris Sims, Chris Edelman, Chris Osborne, Elliot Rahal, Trent Seeley, Stephanie Phillips, Miguel and Eliana Figueroa, Sebastian Gurner, Vita Ayala, Stuart Moore, June Brigman, Jeremy Whitley, T. Franklin, Tom Pear, uh, Andrew Magazoo, Brian Edward Hill, Will Nevin, Erica Schultz, Mark Russell, Daniel Kibblesmith, Rose Stein, Ted Brandt, Zach Quaintance, Rob Guillory, uh, Justin and Penelope Daniels, Meg Downey, Jamal Igel, Kelly Thompson, Scott McElroy, Ben Merritt, Mark Poulton, Royer Okupe, Leah Williams, Joe Eisma, Gail Simone, Christopher Sabella, uh, Becca Swazeni, Ian Flynn, Magdalene Visaggio, and Greg Mester. Uh, and you're welcome, <laughs> because I was seriously contemplating singing that out to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, uh, but thought better of it. Uh, but we have a guest to get to. Uh, this week, Matt and I are talking to Anthony Marquis, who, in addition to being an artist on various projects for Dynamite and IDW, is the owner of Dewey's Comic City in Madison, New Jersey. Uh, we talk about his life on both sides of the fence, uh, retailer and creator. Uh, talk a little bit about the year in comics, from bait-and-switch weddings to the mini-speculator boom that developed around Batman's penis. And uh, we talk about how bad Superman for The Quest for Peace was. So let's get into it. Uh, here are me and Matt and Anthony. So we've had some multitaskers on this podcast, but uh, not not quite like this. Uh, in addition to being an artist and, and an editor, uh, you also own a comic shop in uh, North Jersey. So uh, to start off, how long have you run uh, Dewey's Comic City and uh, what made you look at your dance cart at the time and say, you know what, <laughs> not full enough? <laughs> well, you know, on top of it all, I also have two little kids and a wife and a, <laughs> a little dog named Spike that oh. runs around, but... Uh, you know, I like staying busy, but um, no, you know, the, the, the comic shop, Dewey's Comic City, mm -hmm. has been around for 28 years, <clears throat> and the previous owner, uh, Dan Beltry, was going to retire, and, um, you know, there was a chance that he was going to shut down the shop, and I'm very lazy, and I hate looking for new places to go and shop, so I said, <laughs> hey, why don't we uh, discuss some terms and maybe see if we could work something out, and, uh, you know, about me taking over the shop. And, you know, he was very kind enough to listen to my spiel. And we went out to the diner, as all good New Jerseyans do. <laughs> and uh, we sat down and hammered it out and came to a deal. But um, as far as just wanted to add more stuff to my plate, it's just, you know, um, I like I like staying busy. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a good thing that, that, you know, I guess for those listeners who don't know, uh, under Dan, I worked at Dewey's from 2000 to 2015. So the shop has a real special place in my heart. And I'm happy that it's been able to keep going and that Anthony has kept the ship sailing straight. You know, it's a real staple of the of the the town, too. You know, Madison, New Jersey. And, um, 
Dewey's is a, a real focal point. I mean, you can't help but pass it if you're driving down Main Street and turn onto Park Ave or you're coming from Park Ave into Main Street or you're coming from Morristown into Madison. I mean, you have to pass it. And, um, you know, it, it's at its current location, at least. And um, I don't know, it would just be so strange for it not to be there. And, it, you know, as a, someone who works in comics and has a deep appreciation for him, you don't want that kind of business to go away. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I, lo the location helps. I always love a, a good comic shop in a good town, uh, a good downtown. Um, Matt, you just blew my mind a little bit, though. I didn't realize you had been there 15 years. Oh, yeah, yeah there was uh, I took about a year off right after I graduated. But I started working for Dan in January of 2000 and only left when i got the when i changed you know regular full-time jobs in 2015 so i was there for a long time you should come back and do like special event days yeah i would happily i i, I miss coming to dewey's i i miss getting up there more often well if you ever want to do like a certain day or whatever i mean you know of course uh, we'll chit chat and yeah, absolutely <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. But you know, definitely if you ever want to come just to, you know, for like free comic book day, you want to come do something silly like that. And, uh, we'll all hang out and just have like fun and, you know, we get food and we just have a really good time. So happily, you know, if you ever need somebody for an event, you got my contact information, shoot me a message. All right. I signed you up. You're all set. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the list. That's You're awesome. List um, do you find that your background as, as a creator and your background as, as somebody who has, you know, attended and also been an instructor at the Kubert School, you know, lends you some pull in terms of organizing store events like, you know, guest signings, free comic book day parties and stuff like that? Uh, I'd be lying if I said no. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I've had a really good go of getting to know uh, people that work in this field and you know but in the same sense you know i'm thinking about it right now the comics field is pretty it's small um you know for something that we all kind of think about the comics in general is a small uh business and you know it's not too hard to kind of get to know one another and make friends but um i i do think that has helped you know by working in editing and being an instructor at the school and, and you know going to all the different conventions all around the u.s um, has enabled me to meet a lot of folks and, you know, be able to invite them to come out to the shop and maybe give the fans a chance that they wouldn't necessarily get at a different shop. Um, do you find, you know, are you, are you able to get, you know, creative work done while you're at the shop or do you kind of, you have to kind of compartmentalize those two, uh, those two worlds? I try to keep it separate. When I'm at the shop, I really want to try to focus mainly on, you know, what's going on at the store. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, I was trying to kind of uh, figure out, well, maybe I could draw a little bit in the back while it's quiet or something like that. But um, there's still there's so much going on, even on a quiet day at the shop, just in terms of maintaining your orders and, um, you know, keeping stock and everything going on and chasing down new collections. Uh, so you're constantly, you're always working, you know, so it's not like there's a lot of dead time, even when it's quiet. So I, I do try to keep it separate. Yeah. Chasing down new collections. I've been seeing on Facebook, I've been salivating over some of those key books that you've gotten lately. Oh yeah. It's been really great. Um, I don't know if you saw, we had amazing fantasy 15 in the shop. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was really cool. And, um, that all went the same day. I mean, it was literally you know, in and gone, which was incredible. And, you know, we had um, Amazing Spider-Man number one. We had X-Men number one, um, Avengers number one, number four, first appearance of Supergirl, first appearance of the, let's see, Legion of Superheroes. Um, right now we've, ha we've had the first appearance of the Teen Titans, um, first Beast Boy. I mean, uh, it's just so many. Uh, first Iron Man. Um, very early Fantastic Four, very early Spider-Mans. I mean, just it's all over the place. It's incredible the collection that we have currently at the shop. Yeah, John, John for those John Bush, the uh, longtime Dewey's employee and a, another good friend of mine, uh, sent me a text with a with pictures. You had some like hardcore Golden Age Batman's, and I was like, Oh, oh yeah. my God, <laughs> oh oh no, bad Matt. It's nearly Christmas. Don't be tempted to blow all your money on Golden Age Batman's as much as you want them. Oh, they're beautiful too. Like it was funny when I first got the collection. I'm a huge Superman fan. I'm a real geek when it comes to Superman. 
And um, there was a Superman number 12 in there. And it's a cover that I remember from when I was younger, like going through one of the price guides and I would trace it all the time as a kid. And um, I saw it and I was like, I can't sell this. I need to keep this for myself. This one's going, going home with me. And um, so I have, it's here, you know, and it's, it's in my little private stash now. And I stare at it at night and drool and, daydream like a creep but it's <laughs> awesome i love it so much uh are, are you out there kind of actively pursuing those 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 wall book uh collections to, to give them a home in the store or or is it you know because the store has such a history there a lot a lot of them are coming to you um i'd say it's you know I, the, the store always gets people coming in and bringing stuff in and whatnot mm-hmm. but i am definitely actively uh looking for some you know, definitely I want those real silver age keys. I want the golden age books, um, bronze age and anything. And as long as it's some sort of a key book or, you know, good runs of a series, uh, I have interest in it. And even if it's the later stuff, uh, it's not that I don't want it. I mean, I can always find something to do with them. So I'm always looking for a good collection. Um, you mentioned being, being a Superman fan. How are you enjoying the, uh, the Bendis, uh, stuff so far? I really like the action comics run. Mm-hmm. Uh, Superman's good as well, but I like action comics because it feels a little bit more grounded, and um, it's easier to kind of uh, sink my teeth into. Um, but I've really enjoyed that. The Superman run's very good too. I love the artwork in it; it's incredible, um, really beautiful stuff. So, I mean, I would recommend both series to anyone who enjoys Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's true blue Superman. So check it out. That last issue of action he brought back vic sage he brought back the original question and that just <laughs> made because that's a character i that's a character i love him he's not superman but oh boy i was glad to see vic back <laughs> oh, anything like that's cool it was a little rorschachy but it was really cool you know i mean yes i know the whole like yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say. yeah I know i know but it, it just it seemed a little extra Kind of throw it on top of it. Was was he eating a can of beans like right out of the uh, the, the can under his mask? <laughs> no, no, he was definitely treading the 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 Rorschach Batman line a little more than yeah. the question usually does. But there have been two or three attempts to do the question since the new Fifty Two, and they've all fell so completely flat that this was at least in the ballpark. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, we'll see where we go. But I'm I'm happy to see him at least not as a mystical character or working for the government because neither of those <laughs> yeah. worked at all. And speaking of just like of other really good uh, books, did you guys sure. read uh, Detective Comics last week? I, it, it is on my stack. I've been, you know, I was up at the store on uh, Saturday and on Sunday I was, we just I was down with Dan recording. I have not really cracked my my comic stack from last week, and I am dying to read Detective. It's really good. Uh, I mean, I you know, I don't know if the reviews are out and they're saying it's horrible or not or if they're saying it's great. But as from my standpoint, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good um, Batman issue. Like, you know, it was it was really cool. There's a cool mystery going on and. Batman has to solve it and, you know, it, it moves so well. It has a really good flow to it. Um, so I really recommend that to folks. Definitely check out Tomasi's uh, first issue on detective. Um, if you're not familiar with his, any of his Batman work, you know, check out his stuff they did on Batman and Robin uh, later on, which is really cool. I always thought that was really yes. good, but because de- that detective issue was really impressive. Uh, definitely recommend it. Yeah. His, the, he gave, Damien more of a heart than any yeah. writer had before him. The whole arc where he keeps sneaking down into the sewers and you can't figure out why. And then finally, he apparently was down there looking f- to find any of the lost pearls from when Martha Wayne was shot. And he finds That's awesome. one. That's and awesome. Oh, it just gets you right in the heart. Yeah, Tomasi's a really, really great writer. Um, I think his stuff's. I don't want to say underrated because that that seems like it's uh, a swipe or something like that. I don't, but he's just he's incredibly talented. I feel like you know he really understands how to write the character for who they truly are. Even his when he was doing, I think it was what action comics he was doing for a while. There was it was action or Superman was he on just recently? He Superman. Was Superman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His Superman run was really good too. 
um, you know, writing the whole family dynamic uh, with, you know, him, Lois and, uh, and John was a uh, really good, he did great stuff. Um, on the whole, you know, how closely are you kind of, you know, following comic sales trends? Do you feel like Dewey's hues closely to what we see, you know, reported across the industry by like Comicron, you know, where they're kind of forecasting another year of sales being kind of slightly down? Or is, do you feel like every store or at least your store is is its own animal? Uh, well, you know, since this is only my this is my second year. I mean, I, I've seen sales numbers from the past and whatnot, and I compare it against everything. Yeah. But um, just seeing how we're doing so far after the first year, our numbers are actually going up, um, which is great. I mean, yeah. we are heading into the winter, which is uh, never the best time for comic shops. <laughs> but um, I uh, I feel pretty positive about the direction that it's going. Um, the big difference this this year is I have made more of a concentrated effort on getting more, you know, back issues and getting, uh, some sort of collectibles into the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than last year, I was kind of just, you know, getting my feet under me, but, um, it's, it's interesting and I'm, I'm excited to see how it kind of goes, but the sales have been solid across the board, even with the newer issues, it hasn't really taken a bit, a big dip. Okay. That's good. Um, something that came out, uh, today we're recording this on, on the 17th, uh, it'll be up new year's eve but uh you know free uh diamond announced this week their titles for free comic book day 2019 uh i am kind of curious from the store's perspective you know what you guys get out of these sort of annual parties now that the distributor is you know kind of you know there's this and there's obviously there's halloween comic fest you know uh do you do you find that it brings in that new traffic? Is it kind of like a quick, quick hit one day thing, or you know, is it more of a reward to kind of the customers who have been coming in and supporting you know the store the whole the whole time? That's a really good question. Um, I, I want to say it's somewhere in between, you know, because you are going to get the folks that come in just for the kind of novelty of it all where they're just, Oh, it's free books. Let's go just go grab some stuff. And you know, that's great too. Cause it does get more people into the shop and you know, gets different eyes in there that might see something and pick something up as well. Um, how many of those people are return customers though afterwards? I don't, I don't really know. I didn't get a good gauge on that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you do see some folks that come back. Um, but you know, your, your main customer base is always going to come and they're going to show up on free comic book day as well. And, you know, they're going to pick up some of the items. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, some of the other days like local comic shop day and, you know, Halloween comic fest, those are cute. They're nice, but they don't have the same amount of foot traffic as you're going to get from something like a free comic book day. Um, but it, they're all good. Anything that you can do to kind of help uh, market comics and get it out in front of folks that, might not necessarily come into your shop uh, is a good thing because that's a chance that you're going to gain another customer and another person that's going to enjoy comics and become a collector and pass it down maybe to their son or daughter as they get older. So um, anything that helps get books out in front of someone is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, You know, especially now when the kids comics market and, and kids graphic novel market is, is exploding in the way that it is. You know, there's there's kind of a golden opportunity to to really kind of foster that next generation. Um, yeah, we try to make sure we have a really nice uh, kids section at Dewey's. Um, Dewey's in general is a pretty family friendly oriented uh, shop. Uh, Matt, you can vouch for us on that. Um, oh, absolutely. I I helped Dan curate that. I, I'm a sucker for our people who read our website now i'm a sucker for all ages comics so i was always like oh you know there's this thing that me and a whole bunch of eight to twelve year olds are reading that i think we should get more of Mm -hmm. no it's true though you know and i think it's great you know my whole thing with comics and uh, even like movies and all that kind of stuff is i always say you know just hit the the pixar tone and now i'm not saying make it be silly but i think you know uh, accessible to everyone you know where you can have those sort of in jokes for someone that might be a little bit older but it's still it's still accessible for a kid to pick up and really enjoy you know one of my biggest things that kind of gets me is sometimes 
when a person comes in and kid wants to pick up like a Batman comic or something like that. And I'm like, well, you might want to let your parent take a peek at that first. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a problem uh, because you're, you're stopping people from becoming fans. You know what I, I'm trying to think of how to word this correctly, but it's, it, you're, you're creating a blockage. You're not allowing it to just flow out uh, evenly where anybody can access it. You know, it's that's not good, especially if you want to keep this medium growing. It needs to be accessible to everyone. Yeah, I mean, believe me, I, I, I want to foster, you know, my, Dan's son, Logan, my gods, and I want him to, you know, be reading Batman. But, you know, Faceless Joker is something I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know <laughs> if I want to go there just yet. Yeah. And look, like, I'm not saying that all books have to be, um, you know, PG-13 and whatnot. But I do think that, you know, if you're going to have a, a hardcore Batman book or, you know, something where people are just, you know, you know, hard R or maybe even more mature than that, um, you should have something that that's out there for the kids to pick up. Uh, it's like it's like any other medium. It's like movies or TV. You have your rating system and different thing. You know, different products are, are are for different audiences. You got your Batman Adventures and you got your Batman Damned. Exactly. <laughs> um, looking back on on this past year, were there any big sellers that were a surprise to you? Hmm. It's never the big sellers that are the surprise. It's usually the ones that you think that are going to be the big sellers that aren't, which are the surprises, and then make you go, "Well, that's funny." But um, uh, you know, I, I think I think everything pretty much panned out the way it 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 was it looked like it was going to. Um, you know, I was really happy with the way that uh, um, Doomsday Clock performed. I thought that was incredible. That did a great job. Um, I'm really happy. I mean, Batman Damn did surprise me a bit. I mean, I I knew it was going to sell very well, but I didn't think it was going to be as crazy as it was. That that created um, like a mini uh, like 1993 style speculator boom for a minute there. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I mean, it. I remember being at the shop that Wednesday night, and we still had a bunch of them up on the shelf, mm -hmm. and um, and I remember holding the Jim Lee variant and the regular one. And I was just like flipping through it, and I was like, ah, all right, whatever. And then put it back up there. And the next day, um, I remember getting like a phone call from Marcus, who works on Thursdays. And he's like, yeah, we're done. We, the, people came in like crazy and just cleared us out. Like everybody was buying this book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, you know, you look online <laughs> online, and thankfully we put some on the side. But it was just like, you know, I mean, immediately this book skyrockets up to like $60 online because of, you know, uh, bat dong. And it's, <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? And it's just, oh, it's insane to me. But that kind of thing just makes me laugh. But hey, whatever, that's great. It was a surprise, and I'm glad it, it sold so well. Absolutely. Um, if you feel comfortable saying, you know, what was something that didn't move the needle that you thought should have gone the other way? I was just trying to remember what the title of it was. It was um, maybe you guys remember what this was. I, I'm having a a senior moment right now where I can't remember it, it was with a head captain America on the cover and um, a lot of the Marvel universe. And it was uh, Logan shows up at the end of the book. Oh, the Marvel legacy. Um, yeah. Marvel legacy. The, the, the one shot or whatever it was. Yeah. That I really thought that that was going to, I remember had, that was like one of my earliest orders, I think. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, Oh, that's going to be a huge book. And I think I way over ordered. <laughs> <laughs> it, I was just kind of like, wow, that didn't move as well as I thought it was going to. Oh, well. You know, I will flat out say after having spent many years working with Dan, that is not the first time one of those big Marvel books has done that. And it's not the first time that we've overordered on them. You're in good company. <laughs> yeah, my, my local shop, like even a few months ago, still had like a, a first Wednesday's worth of copies and like had dropped the price down to... Three ninety nine from I don't remember what it was originally. I think it was like five ninety nine or something. It was an expensive book. Yeah, yeah. That that you know, and and I think that's that's where you see. Oh yeah, no relaunch fatigue is a thing. <laughs> and price. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So no, no 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 price point. I mean DC Rebirth. I mean granted that was a year and change before that, mm -hmm. but it was that thick and it was three ninety nine and that yeah. sold out everywhere. 
there is a sensitivity to price point, no matter Always. what various people in the industry like to say. It's like there, there is, you know, they will charge what the market will bear, and I think that that might be an indication that the market is not necessarily going to bear seven ninety nine books regularly. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, but then look at this past month, Uncanny X Men number one, seven ninety nine book. See, like that's you know, Uncanny X Men number one, um, we ordered very heavy on. Um, it sold well, you know, once you factor in your variants and like you know all those kind of things. Once you sell those, but you know, I thought that that could have sold better still. Um, and at seven ninety nine, or you know, moving forward, I'm going to lower my numbers down a bit because I, you know, I want to make sure that it still is profitable. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's also reader fatigue as the book goes on too. Um, and if there's other key issues and, uh, like, I think the one I was looking at today, it was in, uh, the December solicits. I'm trying to remember what it was, uh, uncanny X-Men number 11 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that issue was seven ninety nine as well. And, you know, it, it did make me pause for a second and say, you know, what, how do I order this one now? Because, you know, with the way that this is going along in the series and, you know, you're already at an issue 11, although it's a key issue in the series that they have going on right now, is the readership really going to be there to pick it up? And then, you know, you factor in that it's X-Men and there's so many weird little variables that go into it. But um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think if they started switching a lot of books to seven ninety nine, um, retailers would be very happy about that. And I would nah. I, I would strongly suggest that they don't. Don't test those waters too too heavily. Yeah, that uncanny eleven is is ridiculous, especially when you factor in that that's following ten issues that were running weekly. So exactly, and a four or five ninety nine annual that ha- drops in between ten and eleven, and seems to be integral to the gap. It's not like it's an annual that is a side story. It's an annual that bridges the gap in between the first and second arcs. Yeah, plus Age of X-Men Alpha comes out that same month. So That's right. That's right. You're, you're looking at like almost $20 for three books. Yeah. I mean, and you know, people will still have to pick up other titles and, you know, then you start questioning, well, what book do I really like this story enough that I'm going to drop 20 bucks on this? You know, or I could go and pick up some other titles that I would really enjoy. And then also all of Marvel's number ones, I believe, are now four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward. So, um, or a good majority of them are. I saw some of the spinoffs weren't four ninety nine, Um, but I mean, even that, you know, it's an extra buck. So how's that going to affect people moving forward as well? Absolutely. Um, one thing that was an odd trend this year was, uh, the big two marketing weddings that were never going to happen. Oh, I was so aggravated. <laughs> aggravated personally or aggravated as a retailer or both yeah i gotta imagine yes to both <laughs> i think both i was just like what is this you know the catwoman thing and then that was i don't know i thought that was so lame and then um the whole what was it um kitty pride and colossus yeah and then I just love the fact that Marvel's like, you know what? Give them another Gambit and Rogue series because the first one did so well. <laughs> it's like, no, nobody wants to read that book. Put it away. Stop. I mean, I am buying Mr. and Mrs. X. <laughs> it is very enjoyable. <laughs> at, least we got, at least we got a bait and switch wedding on that one. <laughs> yeah, there was a wedding. There was a wedding. And all I know is that if the, if if Ben and Alicia don't get married, it's like okay, no more. You won comics. No superhero can get married. Just I'm done. I was just so shocked by that. It's like because it was right after. What did they have? It was just Gambit and Rogue. I think was that the name of the series right before that one? Uh, Rogue and Gambit. Yeah. Oh, Rogue. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, and then it, it stopped, and then you well, know, it was only supposed to be a five issue mini. Say like what? That, yeah, that yeah. Was, but yeah. it was just like it was like, oh, it wasn't really well. You know, a base. This is also one of those things where, in our shop, uh, Rogan Gambit was not a huge seller. Okay. So I was just like, why is this happening? Please stop. We don't want any more of this in Dewey's. But um, hey, whatever. If it sells, it's great. <laughs> I was just I was just thinking of all those like 
you know, those poor shops that held like Batman and Catwoman, uh, you know, wedding parties. And uh, I, I'm pretty I, like, I think there was at least one store that had like a cosplay wedding. They did. Yeah. I, I saw that online and I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> like how disappointing. They're like, oh, get dressed up as Batman and Catwoman. And uh, that that wedding in the book that you're basing your whole wedding off of yeah. doesn't really happen. So that's <laughs> not, not to mention, I like this is this this is fascinating. You know, I, I would love to reach out to like the the cosplay bride there and find out how much she paid to either make or have made that like Joelle Jones wedding dress because that couldn't have been cheap. No, she spent like months. I like yeah, like where do you get the? I I mean you know because let's say so what solicits came out and showed the the dress maybe three months prior. So yeah. she had three months to get that dress custom made. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, kind of big picture overall, you know, now that you've got a, a year or two under your belt with Dewey's, you know, what, what would you say is the most important kind of one or two pieces of advice you would give to someone who is looking to, you know, open or run a comic shop in 2019? Uh, just really pay attention to your customers and, you know, find out what they really enjoy and take care of them and, you know, really see what's going on in your community and try to make it a really comfortable place for everyone. Um, make sure it's, it's clean and bright and well-organized uh, try to keep things in stock, you know, even, uh, you know, sometimes things are going to happen where you're not going to, you're going to be missing something, but, you know, always be willing to uh, tell the customer you can order it and get it in for them as soon as possible, but just be really, take really good care of your customers and they'll take care of you. Um, I, I don't think it's a scary thing to do. And if, if you, if you have an interest in it and you love it, and then I think it's a great, uh, great thing for anyone to do. And that goes for any business really. So if, if you, have a desire to do it, go out there and do it, but you know, love what you're doing and it'll love you back. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of move on from the, from the retail, uh, aspect of this. Uh, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about like the comics that you were reading when you kind of first got into the medium, either, you know, as a fan or, or, you know, when you started coming up professionally. Um, let's see. So, I guess, you know, when I was, I really got into comics when I was a kid. Um, I hope that this is answering your question correctly. No, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, when I was a kid, I, I just, I really loved, I, you know, like around like 89, 90. Like I remember like, you know, the whole Batman movie and my, my older brother had these like Superman records uh, with art with by, by Neil Adams, I believe on them. And I always thought they were like the coolest thing ever. And I was obsessed with the Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. And I even loved Superman four because he like throws a mountain and stops a volcano from like destroying some place in Italy or something like that with, you know, I don't know. It was really cool to me. Superman four is a wonderful movie for like a four or five year old. You're really going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean the villain it's not to go on a tangent here, but I'm going to tangent away, um, please. <laughs> like the villain in Superman four is the most little kid made up super villain ever. Like ah! he has kryptonite fingernails that like that grow when he's like, it's, it's hilarious. It's everything that you would come up with as like a kid. It's just like, Oh, he's got, you know, it's, you're just making it up on the spot. It's like the writers of that movie were like held at gunpoint. And the guy was like, tell me what the villain is. Tell me what the villain is now. And he's like, well, he's this guy and he's got a son on his chest and he's, he just kind of yells all the time and he's got kryptonite fingernails to fight Superman. And it's like, okay, sure, sure. That sounds great. Let's do it. Give me the millions of dollars. And they're like, we can give you 15 bucks. And, and like, that's what you get. And that's how you get Superman for. It so had the anyway, budget yeah. and plot of a hostess fruit pie ad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's not even, it's like, it's hostess, like, that's name brand. You just get like a, like a 7-Eleven fruit pie. It's <laughs> <static>. <laughs> 
it's like a guy standing in front of 7-Eleven peddling <laughs> like these really sad, burnt, homemade pies. <laughs> it's pathetic pie. That's what it is. It's sad. Um, but that's what got me into into comics. And then, you know, with the whole Death of Superman thing, that was crazy awesome when I was a kid. I remember just being completely uh, sucked into that. I thought that was the biggest thing ever. And then um, right afterwards, DC tried to capitalize by, you know, Nightfall and breaking Batman's back. And I was just I was all about that stuff as a kid. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Uh, uh, Nightfall still holds up. <laughs> I, I will stand by Nightfall. I love it. I love all that stuff. That's some of my favorite. You know, everybody kind of makes jokes about them and like, oh, those books are this and that. But I, I love them. I think they're all so awesome. And uh, they're so much fun. I mean, and growing up, I mean, as a kid, that that really gets you hooked into it. And yeah, I just I loved it. Yeah, and you know, Nightfall is also one of those books that stories that never seems to go out of print. It's like Watchmen. There's always a new edition of it. Oh yeah, they will forever make new versions of that book and just continuously, continuous, continuously publish them over and over again. You know, and they'll always, there'll always be an audience for it. Let me put it that way. Absolutely, and it's funny because you know, just a few years ago, let's say even like last year, you know, this year, you know, people in you know the more toxic elements of the fandom complaining about you know replacing characters like Captain America and Thor and all that. I'm like, that's all DC did in the '90s yeah. <laughs> with every almost every single marquee superhero. That's what Marvel should do: is like just get rid of one of their characters come back with four versions of them. One's just a teenage kid. Another one's a cyborg version. I mean, that's what I would have done with Wolverine. That would have been amazing. Just a robotic Wolverine running around. <laughs> I don't know. This is why I'm not an editor anymore. They could actually, they could do that with Wolverine because <laughs> they've got Laura Kinney. They got old man Logan. They got Albert, the, uh, the Android that looks like Wolverine. And then, uh, see, yeah, you need Wolverine. like a younger Wolverine in a leather jacket with an. Oh wait, Jimmy Hudson from the Ultimate Universe. There, we've there done you it. Go. <laughs> Problem solved. Exactly. <laughs> um, how about like you know when you first started getting into you know art and, and drawing and illustration and stuff like that? Like, do you remember like when you kind of first were able to like suss out who art you know when you started following artists as opposed to you know the characters themselves? Oh yeah, I was I was a obsessed with Dan Jurgens as a kid. Um, I used to memorize all of the creative uh, teams as a kid on all the books back then. Like, and like I was saying, I was a big Superman guy. So all the Superman books I had memorized, I knew all the editors, the colorists, um, everything, the, the letterers. And I would call um, DC Comics as a kid and they would put me through to speak with Chris Duffy, who was the uh, assistant editor, I believe, at the time on the Superman titles. Wow. And I remember calling and talking with Mike Carlin and asking to speak with him and like him actually getting on the phone. This is it's just hilarious to me to think of like some little kid calling up um, DC Comics and bothering their editors. Like I would always hope when I was at DC that some little kid would just randomly call me so this way I could kind of pay it forward. But no little kid ever did. It's sad. Um, like, like how, how old are we talking at this point? Um, I was maybe like eight years old. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you, know, just, you imagine being at work and all of a sudden you just get a phone call from some little kid that wants to talk to you about Superman. <laughs> maybe that's how they were getting their ideas at that point. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of, you know, I just wanted to talk about how to make comics and, um, you know, let's just talk about Superman and why is he doing these things and this and that. And it was awesome. I loved it. Then everybody was always really great. I used to call Marvel as well. And Jim Kruger was an editor there at the time. And he would answer the phone and we would chat for a really long time, all time. And he would send me comics and he was great. I mean, Chris Duffy and him were really awesome and probably helped, um, you know, really keep me interested in comics and kept that, you know, that candle lit as in terms of, you know, wow, you know, this is really something that, you know, I could do as I get older. And they were just really great guys. And it was nice that um, I was able to kind of get to meet them as I got older and chat with them. And, you know, it's just, it's really cool stuff. I, I love comics. Were, were you going to the conventions, uh, you know, as, as a kid or, or a teenager? I didn't go to a convention until I was 
like 1920. I remember my, my first show ever was Baltimore mm. uh, Comic-Con. Maybe it might have been even a little, little bit older than that. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'd say 1920, 21 around there. Um, and then I went to Baltimore Con, and that was a really good show. And I, I remember Lou Frigno being there. And I just, he was wearing like this weird velour shirt. And that's my, <laughs> that's, that's like my memory of my first ever convention and seeing Lou Ferrigno. And he told me I had to like take a, I had to take a Polaroid of him and a fan. So I was like the official Lou Ferrigno photographer for five seconds. And that's, that's my memory of my first convention. But uh, if you're going to start with a con, Baltimore's a good one. That's that's pretty awesome. Oh, Baltimore's a great show. I highly recommend that to everybody every single year. You know, if you ever get a chance, uh, definitely go to Baltimore. That's a great show. Uh, now, by the time you, you know, when you started at the, at the Kubert School, had you kind of developed any, like, art habits that, like, once you got there, you kind of had to unlearn right off the bat? Or were you coming in kind of... You know. The Cupert School does a really great job of um, basically taking whatever talent that you have mm -hmm. and just really whipping it into shape. It's like the Marine Corps of comic art schools. You know, you come in there and you're kind of out of shape and you're just a mess. But by the time you leave, you're a lean, mean fighting machine. And it's, you know, it's incredible. But, you know, they really they really do take whatever talent you have. And if you're willing to put in the work and really bust your your butt, um, you can come out of it uh, pretty strong. And, you know, it's in, as long as you keep a, a willing attitude to continue to learn, mm -hmm. uh, you can really create something special. Yeah. It's like anything you get what you you know, what you what do you put into it? So if anybody's ever interested in going into the Kubert school, I highly recommend it to them. Um, I think the school is a great school um, and nowadays highly underrated. But if anybody has interest in getting into comics or working in editorial or um, cartooning or, you know, animation, any, anything like that, I highly recommend the Cupid School to them. Um, getting into, into your creative work, uh, I kind of, I, I spent, you know, uh, quite a bit of time this afternoon looking through your, your Instagram and there was a lot of, you know, Red Sonia, a lot of Vampirella. Uh, I know you just did the Vampirella uh, Halloween special. Uh, that came out. Uh, it looks like, you know, the one thing I took away, like the work that you're doing with those characters, it looked fun. Like the tone of it just looked like a, a you know, a fun read. Uh, you know, I think when you think of, you know, it just, uh, how much, you know, I would say on, on the creative side of things, like how much time, you, you know, what, what is sort of the balance? How much time are you spending doing art and how much time are you doing spending uh, editing? Well, I'm, I'm not editing anymore. Okay. Um, I have retired from editing for right now, at least. <laughs> um, but uh, now it's, you know, I try to really focus primarily on just the shop and, and my drawing. Like right now I'm doing, um, I don't know if there was an announcement that went out. I'm doing a bunch of uh, Ghostbusters covers. Yeah. So it's a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And I'm really excited about that. So I just finished the real Ghostbusters one, and then actually right now as I'm talking with you guys, I'm also working on the Extreme Ghostbusters cover. And because, as as anybody knows, artists are on, always on deadlines, and I need to get these done. Sure. So I, I'm working on that to try to get this finished up. And then I have to finish up the regular Ghostbusters cover, and then the Answer the Call Ghostbusters as well. And then I have to do a Days of Thoris Barbarella cover as well, and then... Um, we're finalizing a series as well for me to do over at Dynamite. So we're just trying to figure out a few different things at the moment. So it always comes down to just playing around with time. And, and you know, yeah. it's like it'll be quiet for a little bit of time, and then you just get slammed with a ton of work, and you just have to really figure it out. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then that kind of plays back into then with work in terms of the shop and then family it's a balancing act at times. So you just kind of, kind of got to keep all the plates up in the air. Absolutely. Um, do you find, you know, are you still hand drawing a lot or do you do, you know, do you do digital? Is it a mix? I do all uh, traditional. Um, I might do a little bit of touch-ups here and there and uh, digitally, but everything I, I use is by pencil and ink. Um, I will send my pencils at times. I, I do have an inker 
that I'll work with if I can't ink it myself. I like to work with Jay Bone or Mark Deering. Mm. Um, Jay's an awesome guy, and so is Mark. Uh, I'm a huge uh, Darwin Cook and Shane Glines and Bruce Tim fan and Jay Bone fan in general, too. So it's it's awesome to be able to work with him. Um, what are you reading these days? I know we talked about Superman before. Yeah, I was gonna say I like I like action comics a lot. Um, my most recent series that I really enjoyed was that Mark Wade Captain America run. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. But um, let's see, Doomsday Clock's been really good. I've enjoyed that. Um, I know I'm gonna be forgetting some series that I really like. But, you know, those are, I just kind of bounce around a bunch. I don't really particularly have a real favorite amongst them. And some of the story arcs are so short that it's it's kind of like, you know, you'll read a little thing here and there. And then you're like, all right, now I'll pop over to this because they're bringing a new creative team on board. Or, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's always trying to capture your attention. But I think I would like to give Spider-Man a little bit of a shot now. No, I haven't really gotten a chance to read that. So I want to check it out. I've heard the new Amazing is good. I I haven't been reading it, but uh, yeah, I've definitely heard good things. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Um, As we're kind of winding down here, uh, like I said, this is going to be going up uh, New Year's Eve. But uh, you know, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? And uh, (laughs) you know what? uh, You know what? What projects can people look forward to from you uh, in January? Oh wait, no. Before we do that. Restart. Sorry. Uh, you just had a short story out in the uh, All We Ever Wanted anthology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that we talked about that, especially because that is a project that Matt backed on uh, Kickstarter. <laughs> oh, that's all. Yeah, that, that's an awesome anthology that was put together by uh, Matt Miner and um, Tyler Chintaner from uh, A Wave Blue World. Uh, so many talented people were involved in putting together the anthology. And it, it's just a really uh, hopeful anthology. Um there's nothing negative going on in the book. Let me put it that way. There's a lot of stuff that's out there in the world right now. That's just kind of negative. That's kind of bringing people down. And this is a great book that if you just want to have a good read and really enjoy yourself and kind of feel good by the end, uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, I I got to work on that with uh, one of my best friends and basically family member uh, at this point, Fernando Ruiz. And the writer was Eric Burnham. And uh, it, it, that was a, it was just a great time. That was a really fun story to work on. Yeah, I mean, that was what you just said is exactly why I backed it. There's you you can't you know throw a dart at a comic book rack without hitting a dystopia. Yeah. So it was it was nice to see like oh this is utopian futures. Okay, I can get behind that. And it was the the event on Saturday at the store where we you had a bunch of the creators from the anthology for the release was it was nice to see all these people who worked on it in one place that was very cool and good to see fernando who we're hoping to get on the podcast at some point in the new year oh Fernando's one of the best people out there i love fernando um i don't really speak very highly of too many folks uh out in the open but yeah Fernando's one of the best guys out there a longtime Archie artist, incredibly talented. You can draw anything. Um, and just overall, great person. Um, can't say enough kind words about Fernando. And if, if you're not familiar with Fernando's work, do yourself a favor and look him up on Google, Fernando Ruiz. Um, he's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. He's all over the place. You need to look him up and uh, check him out because he's worth looking up. Um, you know, one, one thing I wanted to ask with regard to that is, is, you know, uh, obviously with, with these anthologies, you know, you're, you're writing tight, you're drawing tight, uh, you know, and also short stories tend to be kind of a proving ground for, you know, a lot of creators when they're, when they're first getting started, you know, to, to your mind, what is the key to a good short story in comics? Quick beginning, middle and end, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like, um, so at nighttime, my my son always wants me to tell him a story but you know by that point i just want him to go to sleep (laughs) so it's you know you try to so i tell him a really quick story but you know he's a stickler for you know he wants something good so you got to have something with a quick setup 
and you know you got to get to that that action kind of get it progressing and then and close it up you know give give him that ending that he wants that'll make him feel good before he closes his eyes and goes to sleep so have that quick setup hit it already in the action and um you know establish what's going on and then and close it out as fast as possible um but leaving everybody feeling pretty good and i think you can get yourself a really good short story or if you want to make everybody feel horrible at the end too you can as well but you know i'm I'm speaking from a hopeful standpoint over here <laughs> awesome um well anthony uh how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed sure yeah you can check me out on i'm on instagram i'm on facebook um twitter um you can look me up on everything i think it's anthony m as in matthew and then marquis afterwards or you know just look up anthony marquis on facebook i'm a bald guy with gigantic eyebrows really not hard to miss um and you know once you find that you're good to go just hit the friend button or like and i'll be sure to accept and i will toss in don't also forget to go to uh deweyscomiccity.com definitely come to Dewey's Comic City. Uh, we're located in Madison, New Jersey, 13 Park Ave. Um, open seven days a week, every day. We're, we're right there. We have great selection of books, everything that you need. I mean, games, toys, everything. It's, it's a great shop, so definitely come on by. All right, Anthony, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site, and two dollars gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA!